Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to join me in Genesis, the 17th chapter, as we continue our study of what's in a name. I was uh, so encouraged yesterday as we held a couple of different funerals here at the church and to see so many of you throughout the day coming and supporting those families and encouraging them. And uh, it had been an interesting week because I was gone for most of the week at the Tennessee Baptist Convention and saw several of our folks. You may not realize that we have a couple of our folks work at the Tennessee Baptist Convention and got to be in Chattanooga with him. Cole was there and leading in the BCM ministry that used to be called BSU. We should probably have a conversation about that for the church at some point because they don't know BCM, do they? It's a, it's a new kind of branding, Baptist Collegiate Ministry, used to maybe hurt of it being called Baptist Student Union. Um, and just a good convention of our churches being together and encouraging. We rolled out a new vision for Tennessee Baptist that they adopted, and that was exciting. And while I was away, Jimmy, I saw you guys' pictures of baptism, and I have one question. Did David get the heater fixed in the baptism? In other words, no. Jimmy's so nice, he said it was all right. So it was cold is what you're saying, amen. When people get baptized and it's cold, you know they're committed, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was so awesome to see that and I just praise God for the ministry that you and Hong and others are leading at Butch, Cheryl and others. Many of you volunteer at Recovery Church on Thursday nights. Thank y'all for doing that and, and just that church plant is just going so well. We're just praising God for that. And so, so many good things. And then I got to spend the end of the week in Peachtree City, Georgia. I'm part of a a ministry that worked with us when we rolled out our vision cast here in 2017, 2018. And I sit on that board. They asked me to come sit on that board as they got started after they had helped us. And it was very, very, very encouraging to be with them and hear what God's doing around the country as churches are, are just really embracing a process of revitalization. And every church needs to be revitalized all the time. We used to sing it. We don't call it this way. We used to sing it like this, revive us again. Remember that? That's revitalization Every, all the time. We need it because what God did last year won't carry through this year, will it? You gotta have it again. It's gotta be fresh. It's gotta stay fresh. And I think one of the things that I was most encouraged about this week is kind of getting to this idea of the names of God. What's in a name? And, and I'll be honest with you, the response that we've had to this sermon series has been surprising to me because I had no idea when I sat in a hotel room uh, a couple of months ago and began to chart this series out. It was, it was actually coming out of a devotional thought that, that I was reading uh, because I'm just a, I'm just a, a few chapters over uh, into the book of Exodus now in my Old Testament reading and, and kind of finishing Psalms again and, and finishing the Gospels again and finishing the Epistles again. And so... I didn't have any idea when I started writing that out what the response was going to be to that and how much many of you have said you needed this and really how much I needed it. You know, I mean, that's a funny thing how the Lord begins to work in that. And so far we've seen the names the Lord and the shield. And we looked at those over the last two weeks. And today we're going to look at the name Almighty God or God Almighty, depending on how uh, your Bible reads that or renders this. And so we're going to read Genesis 17 and talk about the Almighty God. Genesis 17, verse 1. If you would join me there. When Abram was 99 years old, 
the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. I can finally say that without having to worry if I've messed that up this week. We're, back, we're finally at Abraham, aren't we, folks? For I will make you the father of many nations, and I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations and kings come from you, and I will confirm my covenant that is between you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you're residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. When we started this journey with Abram and Sarai, who we've been calling Abraham and Sarah kind of interchangeably as God changed their names, we started it in chapter 12, and when we first met them, Abram was 75 years old, and God made a covenant with him. You remember that. He said, I am the Lord. And, and that's where we started in Genesis chapter 12. And what's interesting, what we kind of didn't cover in the intervening weeks is what happened in chapter 16 because God says that to Abraham at 75 years old. And you remember, it's gonna be a child of, of miracle promise because there's no way physically that Abraham and Sarah can, can have a child. They know this in and of themselves that they can't do it. And so they wait 11 years, and after waiting 11 years, impatience got the better of Sarah and Abraham, and Sarah has an idea, and I'd just like to read it. If you just turn back a chapter in your Bible to chapter 16, verse 2, it says, Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from burying children, go to my slave, Perhaps through her, I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. And this happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. So it's interesting what happens here is that they begin to look around saying, well, God promised us a child. And remember that, that Abram had said in the last passage that we looked at, you know, I will be your shield. He said, look, this is all great, but there's going to be someone who's not even born from my family that's going to be an heir to everything I've given. What, what, what can I do? You're going to bless me with all this stuff, but I don't even have an heir. Well, 11 years later, they take matters into their own hands and Abraham has a child with this lady, Hagar, and his name is Ishmael. And this must have seemed like a great relief to everybody because now they can know that there's going to be an heir in the family. There's going to be a son born of Abraham, and it's going to be good. But things get complicated. We're going to come back to that. Things got complicated. So let's go back to verse 1, and let's just look at the two different names that are given, because there's two names given, and one we've already studied. The first is the Lord. Remember, we, we looked at that, and, and when we said that uh, God is our Lord, it means that that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we bow down to him, and, and, and that he controls our lives, our destinies, we obey him, and that's what we saw in Abraham's life. But then we get this second word, and it's a compound word. The Almighty, God Almighty, Almighty God, 
And if you're a child of the 80s, you know this word already because it was a popular Christian music song by Amy Grant, El Shaddai. El, God, Shaddai. Mighty or all-sufficient. A little bit of a funny word to translate for our scholars as they look at this. And, and what it basically means is that God is sufficient or able to complete all of his promises in and of himself and through himself without any external help. That's very important that you understand that. That when God speaks the world into creation, he doesn't need to gather matter and then make it. He, he creates it out of nothing. It comes from nothing. God's able to do that. And so when we think about God being able to do that and we think about him being all sufficient, that's very different from us, isn't it? Because if God is all sufficient, we recognize that we are not all sufficient. One of the things that I love watching on television from time to time are these uh, people who live out in remote places or people who are sometimes known as preppers. I'm not a prepper. If you come to my house, we could probably make some grilled cheese sandwiches if there was nothing left. You know, I mean, we can kind of figure that out, but I don't have water stored for days. I don't have food stored for weeks. I mean, I don't. That's uh, just one more thing, right? But I love watching these people. And, and they seem kind of all-sufficient, except that you forget that they're not really all-sufficient because they're relying on nature, which God has set up and God has done. And, and sometimes we talk about this in terms of the sufficiency of a child. What, what does a child bring to sufficiency? Nothing. If you have a child born to you, you know that your life just got infinitely more complicated, didn't it? Because now not only are you looking out for yourself, but you're having to take care of someone else. And if you're one of our mothers in the room, you're now taking care of yourself, your husband, and someone else. I mean, you know, right? I mean, amen? amen. That was disappointing. Y'all miss these all the time. I don't know. We're one of these days. Mothers, I mean, am I lying or what? I mean, is it, you're taking care of a lot, right? And it's always interesting to me, this is just a little side note, but, but when we talk about this in terms of a right to life, kind of sustainability question, people on, on the pro-choice side of things say that, that we don't have to worry about life until a child is sustainable. I mean, at like 10 years old or when? Because my children weren't sustainable at one. They weren't sustainable on their own at two. Three, four, five? I mean, like, when does that happen? I mean, life is being given to them by their parents, right? And in the same way, we recognize that, that we are not all sufficient, but God is. There's nothing that he needs to do or to get help with because he can do it in and of himself to complete his promises. Now, this is where the surprise comes in because you gotta remember, it was 11 years and they haven't heard from God. And they have Ishmael. But then the Bible says in our chapter 17 that God appeared to him when he was 99. So think about what this has been. Because, I mean, God said you're going to have a child. And he says, well, I've got a child. This is good. I guess God is going to let this be how things play out in our lives. And then all of a sudden, 99, God shows back up. And it must have been a shock because in everyone's life, everything seemed normal. Now, here's where the play on words that I don't want you to miss comes in because 
This is great. And Donald Gray Barnhouse is the first person that I ever heard say this, but I think it's an amazing thing. Abram's name meant he was going to be the great father. That's what Abram means. So you can imagine that everywhere he goes, the, the great father, father of many, hi, I'm Abram. Oh, really? Where are you from? Well, we came from Ur. That's where my people are from, but we've been living down here in Canaan, kind of moved down here. Well, your name, great father, how many children do you have? Well, I don't have any. That's ironic. That would be like being given a name like he runs fast and you're really slow. It's ironic, isn't it? And so you have to understand that in their house, it must have been an amazing thing when a guy who has only had one child comes back to them and says, remember, we know that Abram had a bunch of people living with him because we saw that he had rescued Lot and all those people. It was 300 fighting men, it said, he took with him. So it's a big band of people around him, servants and whatnot that are attached to him. Can you imagine him coming back and saying, huddle up everybody. I need to tell you something. I met with God this week. He's changed my name. Oh, what is it? It's Abraham. What? Abraham. But that means you're going to be the father of many nations? (laughs) I mean, it was ironic before, sir, but now it's ridiculous. And that name that God gives him is something that he's walking around with. And you got the people are walking around. This guy has delusions of grandeur. He's not going to be the father of many nations. He doesn't even have a son except for Ishmael. He's got one kid. And that came through Hagar. I mean, he and Sarah couldn't even have a child. And that's the surprise. But I want you to see something because Abram does something that in chapter 17, I think we often do. Look at verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, don't call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her, and indeed she will give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she will produce many nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down, and he laughed, and he said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you, And God said, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. And I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future. You see what Abraham did there? It's a little bargain. You don't ever bargain with God, do you? God said, do this. And you say, well, uh, could, could we maybe... Can we modify that? Could we get close to doing what you asked me to do? Could, could, could you just, could this be acceptable? Would, would this work in, in a way that, that would make you happy, Lord? Because Abraham wants God to accept what he'd done and God's having none of it because it's not of God. Did you catch that? A, a child born to a, a slave woman that is yours, who you've taken as a kind of a mistress concubine in your life, that's not God's will was never God's will. And now you're saying, hey, we kind of messed this thing up over here. And oh, by the way, it caused lots of problems in his own family. Our big ideas that aren't God's ideas, look what happens. And he says, well, 
No doubt he loves Ishmael. Could you just, could we, ha- could we have him be part of this? And God won't do it because it's not a miracle son. God says, I'm going to do something that's going to be a miracle. And when I'm done with it, everyone will know that I am the Lord God Almighty. I'm the one that you follow. And I'm the one who makes all of these things come to pass. And I don't actually need you to do that much for me. I got this. It's a reminder for all of us that there are absolutely no shortcuts to God's will. It doesn't work. You've probably tried it. I know I've tried it. Oh Lord, let me get around this hard thing by just doing this. And and would you just bless this over here? How many people have I met in, in, in their lives who are absolutely living outside of the will of God, begging him to bless what they're doing, and God said, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. So you can't shortcut what God's doing, and we can't shortcut the test of faith that God brings to our lives, because if we shortcut it, guess what God does? He just keeps bringing it back and back and back and back until we pass. But just like Abraham's life, this is a constant issue of trust for us. His life is, is just like ours. It, it's the same way because we're having to trust what God is doing and, and we can't see what God's doing all the time because we can't see the future. And so when God speaks to us, it's a constant issue of trust, isn't it? And so it reminds us of that great verse from Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six that tells us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight, right? I mean, the issue is that human understanding and God's understanding is very different. And what God has for our lives and what God's asking us to trust him in is sometimes very hard for us to see. And if we try to reason it out ourselves, well, it doesn't work very well. When I think about this, I I start thinking about what it means to wait on the Lord and how we respond when we're asked to wait on the Lord. You know, it's one of my biggest struggles and maybe it's yours because, you know, I don't want to wait. I want God to confirm something now. I can't imagine being 75 when God told me he was gonna do something and just sitting around till 99. Any of you think that would be hard? Right, I mean, we're giving Abraham a hard time this morning. Like, I mean, everybody knows you shouldn't have done that with Hagar, bud. But he's going, we are running out of time. The clock is ticking. Okay, If God asked you to wait a year, is it too long? Is six months too long? Is two years too long? I mean, if God's asking you to do these things, how long can you wait? I mean, 25 years feels like forever, doesn't it? How long can you wait? Because I don't wanna wait on bad news or good news. I want it now. You know, I don't wanna have to go through that. It's so hard for us to be patient in what God's asking us to do and to rest in our faith. Let me read Psalm 37, 34 for you because I think it speaks to this. Wait for the Lord, keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land and you will watch when the wicked are destroyed. Wait for the Lord, keep his way. Wait for the Lord, keep his way. You understand what the scripture is saying is that sometimes we have to just wait because we can't see tomorrow. We can't see next week and waiting, difficult, Because it might require the absolute most self-control that we have. 
Do you ever get jumpy trying to wait? Do you ever get nervous trying to wait? Do you ever get to that point where you just feel like it's, it's welling up inside of you and you, you can't wait anymore? You've got to do something. Well, I want to just remind you of this. God probably doesn't need your help nearly as much as you think he does. God doesn't need your help nearly as much as you think he does. And we've often heard it said that God says, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible, by the way. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of folklore speak that we speak. And, and I know what we mean by that. What do we mean by that? It's, it's that God helps us to accomplish what he calls us to do when we start working. And of course, that's reasonable and it's true, isn't it? Do you remember that Moses is stuck against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army's coming? And, and I love this line in scripture. I mean, I, I so, I'm so glad it's not just us, that God records these things in scripture so that we know that how we feel and how we respond it's perfectly normal in the human side of things, but we're missing the spiritual side of things because Moses starts going, we're dead. You got us stuck here. You let us out of Egypt. And all the people, I love this line, were there not graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die? Come on, Lord, what are you doing? And I love what the Lord says in that moment. Why are you crying to me? Well, because you're the one that brought us out here. Right, that's what he said to Moses. Why are you crying to me? Tell the people, get up and get going. Where, where, where? We're stuck. So I know what we mean when we say that because sometimes we do have to get up and get going. But let's go back to this name, God Almighty, the all-sufficient. What Abraham and Sarah had done, everything they could to have a child, they complicated their family situation, and God's saying to them, I am all sufficient to carry out my promises without your help. Now watch how I'm going to do it. I'm gonna prove it. You're both too old now. I've let it go beyond reasonableness. Sarah's 90, you're way too old. We're gonna do this anyway, it's gonna be great. Because I've got this. Because it's actually about me. We get in trouble, don't we, when we step into the future and start worrying about God's business. Do you ever do that? You say, I'll just give you a couple of examples. It, because I know that I do it, and I start thinking and worrying about the future and what God's going to do. And, and, and so you, you say little things like this. Well, if I tithe, I won't have the money that I need to ever be able to afford a house or to send my kids to college. That's God's business, not yours. What do you mean it's God's business? Whose kids are they? Who knows you need a house? Who said they were gonna provide everything that they needed through their glories and riches in Christ Jesus? Who said that if you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else would be added unto you? You, you, you understand what I'm saying? So we project out into the future and do exactly what Abraham and, and Hagar and Sarah, this, this whole convoluted mess that they were doing. Hey, God hasn't done what we need him to do right now. Let's just circumvent the process. We don't wanna wait anymore and let's get after this because God's obviously not gonna do what he said he was gonna do. So it all depends on me. I'll help God. Really? You'll mess it up. You'll live with the consequences. And I bet if we got a microphone up here and asked who could give a testimony to that, we could fill the hour, don't you think? 
Because all of us know what that feels like. All of us knows what it feels like to be worrying about things that are in the future, about God's business. I was reminded about this just the other day. How many of you know that we have a a little bit of building debt left? Praise the Lord, we're under $3 million. A couple years back when we started really being aggressive with this, I think it was 7.2 or 7.8, somewhere in there, 7 point something million dollars in 2018. Has God been faithful? I believe he has. I mean, right? And I was just sitting there talking with David a couple weeks ago and I was like, man, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna get this thing done? Well, that's the wrong question number one. How are we, how are David and Jeff gonna get this done? Uh, We're not. How's God gonna do it? Does God know what we need? Does God know what our problems are? Does God know what, what he's resourcing us to do? Of course that he does. And he's providing for it. And even this week, we were having a conversation where we were kind of laughing about these things because God is providing for this in some unusual ways that we had no idea that he could do. And we anticipate being able to tell you another one of those God stories really soon about what God's been doing in some of that stuff. Well, whose responsibilities? Let me help God figure that out. Right. You know what God has never done? Called me and asked me any questions. Does he do that at your house? Oh, look at this. God texted me today. He wants to know what we should do in the Middle East. No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he is all sufficient. So we say things like, I've got to compromise. I'm never going to find a Christian to marry. I've just got to get married. I'm getting too old. I've just got to do this. That's God's business. Our business is to trust and to wait. When we start to mix fear and impatience together, what happens is this is like a bad chemical reaction in a laboratory. It's combustible. Fear and impatience are things that are absolutely antithetical to the Christian walk, right? How many times did Jesus say, fear not? Every time the angels come, what do they say? Fear not. Don't fear. I was reading this week in in my devotional time in Timothy, and God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind, right? I mean, how many times does the Bible say, don't fear? And yet, we just live chicken little, the sky is falling, ah, spun up all the time. How many times does the scripture tells us that patience it's not a virtue, it's a gift of the Spirit given to us. We went through that. Love, joy, peace, patience given to us. So when we take two things that have nothing to do with our character, nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, and we start to live in the future with fear and impatience, listen to me, it's combustible and it will blow up like a bad laboratory experiment. You can't take things that God says we're not supposed to have in our lives, mix them together and start living it out and hope that it's going to be different. It will not work. And yet... This afternoon, I'm sure I'll find something to worry about. How about you? Maybe tomorrow. If it's a really good week, maybe we'll make it to Tuesday, amen? But our flesh just really fights us on this, doesn't it? And so it's a work of the Spirit in our lives 
When we yield to the Spirit and we just say, Lord, I, I don't see the way in front of me. I'm going to wait and trust you. And until you move me, we won't move. So if we've been talking about he's the Lord and the Lord God Almighty, that idea of him being the Lord that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever means that what he was in Abraham and Sarah's life, he is in our lives. This doesn't change. God's character doesn't change. So when he's telling us this, that means that he is sufficient today to carry out his promises for us, whatever they may be. Promise to get us to heaven? He's got you. Promise to supply all of your needs? He's got that too. Promise to, to provide the companionship that you're looking for? He's got that. Promise to provide the, the care for your soul when you're hurting? He's got that. Promise to take care of you when tomorrow just seems dark and you can't see the, pa the pathway forward? He's got that because he is all sufficient to do all of these things. So my question to you is this morning, what are you waiting on? What are you trying to fix? What is it? I recognize that in our lives, these things aren't simple. I promise you for Abraham and Sarah, this wasn't simple either. They were staring at something that they couldn't imagine. And then they were told to wait and they had waited and God said, wait some more. But I got you. And so for us this morning, the question really is, what are we waiting on? Because it may be good news that you're waiting on or it may be a, a change of career or maybe a pathway forward or, or you may be worried about what tomorrow brings with your children or your grandchildren or how you're going to fund something or how you're going to do something and God is saying, I've got that because I'm in tomorrow, you're not, trust me. My grandmother used to have a little, a little framed piece that sat on a desk they said, don't worry about tomorrow because God is already there. What I can't see today, he already sees. Because remember, we're here looking in the present and looking back and God is standing outside of the bounds of time looking at all of eternity. And he's got this. And, and if God's promises are true for us, then that means that he will carry us through all of this life and into death and into glory. And he's got it. Because he is all sufficient. So as you're waiting, as you're wondering, when you find yourself fearful and impatient, you better get rid of those because those two things mixed together will blow up in your face. And you start leaning into the Lord with patience and faith because those two things bring blessings. As we wait, we will see him do it. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me this morning and I want us to just dwell on this for just a moment. Daniel's going to come and just play softly and I want us to just take a moment with the Lord and I, I know that we're all waiting on something. We're all wondering about something we're all nervous about something. We're all 
kind of projecting into the future something. And I want us to just stop right now and name that thing and then put it right back in the Savior's lap. What is it for you? Put it there. Are you fearful? Confess that to the Lord this morning. And let his perfect love drive out fear. Are you impatient? Renounce that and ask the Holy Spirit to give you patience to see what God is doing. Lord God, some of us in this room are facing big tomorrows. We're not sufficient to take care of ourselves. We're not sufficient to sort these things out. And the last thing we would wanna do is get in the way of what you're trying to do because you will do it perfectly and we'll just blow it up. Father, for the man or the woman in this room that is fearful, I pray that you would drive out fear in their lives today and replace it with faith in the Lord God Almighty. I pray for the man or the woman in this room that's impatient today, God, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to produce patience in their lives as they wait. And God, may we never get caught doing your business for you. Let us join you, yes, and serve alongside of where you've called us to be. But Father, for those moments where our impatience and our fear is mixing together, I pray that you would just stop us right now. Lord, let us trust you more today than we ever have. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are able to do it all. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.